Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 45. Drinking at a young age is a risk factor that could lead into heavy drinking and abuse as an adult. This happened to Rachel Heckman. Rachel Heckman experienced childhood trauma, her parents divorced, so she found alcohol as a way to find comfort. At age 14, Rachel started drinking, impacting high school grades, resulting in repeating sophomore year at a boarding school. She was also diagnosed with ADHD, which was life-changing. The boarding school structure paid off, and Rachel excelled academically, helping her to get into Dartmouth College. Dartmouth's social scene was focused heavily on drinking. This made for a perfect storm. Rachel continued her drinking and started using drugs and experienced mental health issues and continued to heavy drink throughout her 20s. After graduating from Dartmouth, now in her 30s, Rachel's drinking was no longer about partying, but to numb out. Rachel was desperate to change. She was the heaviest she had ever been, unemployed, in relationship that had long expired, no motivation, poor eating habits, and high anxiety leading to paranoia. So on January 3rd, 2021, she did dry January and stopped drinking. Now over two years alcohol-free, Rachel's life has improved in every way. Rachel continues to work through her past traumas and recover out loud. Her goal is to share her story in hopes in helping others who are suffering in silence. Now, Rachel is an alcohol-free event consultant and content creator for Sober in Central Park. She's a multifaceted entrepreneur who wears many hats in the world of fun, sober living. Take a listen. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, let's dive right in. So tell me a little bit about what life was like before sobriety. It was sad, honestly. When I think back to that life, it's just, it's sad. I mean, I was not ever happy unless I, it was an artificially manufactured state of happiness, usually through alcohol, sometimes through other substances, kind of differed throughout that time. But life was hopeless at the end. I mean, it wasn't always like that, right? At the beginning, I think, you know, I thought I was having fun. But bef- at the end of my addiction journey, you know, it was just sad. And it was, and I lost hope. I didn't see a future. And that was really scary. Because you started at what age drinking? 14. Mm-hmm. Walk me through how that affected you as a young person and then getting into college. So it really, the second I drank for the first time, it was like, ding, ding, ding. This is what you've been looking for. You've been looking for a way to numb and to escape these really uncomfortable feelings that you've been dealing with. And especially someone in your teenage years, mm-hmm. like it, you already have a lot of hormones going on, a lot of mixed emotions. So then to add in substances, I really think that just kind of it changes your brain chemistry for sure. Right. But it really provide, showed me that I don't have to always just deal with these uncomfortable feelings. And there are substances out there that I can take and use that can help me escape. And that was always something I was looking for. And this, the moment that I first drank and then started immediately, I actually got into cocaine very early. It was the same to age. Mm-hmm. It was because it, it was also so easy to get. Wow. It was just everywhere. So I started doing that. I thought it was cool. I thought this is what adults do. Like I didn't think any, it was weird. <laughs> and then I, I ended up, my parents got, got divorced right at that same time. Oh, that's a tough time. So 
Yes, and I agreed. And I think that I used that as an excuse to just do whatever I wanted because my parents, one was a very much a disciplinarian and the other was the complete opposite. So it was, you know, I finally was like, ah, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. Right. And I went crazy and I stopped going to school and I had always done well academically, but I started hanging out with kids that were two grades older than me. My mom would tell me to do something. I just wouldn't do it. I didn't care like already at that young of an age, mm -hmm. but it turns out. So I get sent to boarding school after my sophomore year that I almost failed in public school at a good public school in Connecticut. There was nothing wrong with the school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just me. So I go to a boarding school where one day a teacher was like, did you forget your meds this morning? And I was like, I don't take meds. And she's like, oh my gosh, you don't? Are, have you ever been tested for ADHD? <laughs> like, no, like you need to get tested. So I immediately wow. got me tested and I was di officially diagnosed as having, as being ADHD. But back 20 years ago, a lot of the studies were done in men. And a lot and boys. Mm -hmm. And the way that ADHD presents in women is just totally different. No one ever sat down and said to me, your brain produces less dopamine than other people. That's one of the main ADHD brain characteristics. So anything that triggers that dopamine receptor, you can become addicted to. No one said that. I just went along like, okay, I have medicine now. I can focus. I'm doing well in school. Things are great. I'm thriving. And everyone thought the problem was fixed. It's where Rachel's done. She's good. She's in boarding school. I got into my first choice college, Dartmouth, which was the goal, always the goal. And once I got in, early decision, mm -hmm. I thought I was good. Golden, so, right? Golden. And, and, you know, the fact that boarding school actually plays a big role because it was so structured. Right. And there was a zero tolerance policy at the school. So there were no, I wasn't drinking. Like I would leave campus on the weekends and drink, but not at school during the week. And I think that really saved me from a way earlier problem. Sure. But, you know, we still had fun and did our <laughs> own things. <laughs> I really, it was characterized by my nicotine addiction at the time because I spent most of my boarding school days <laughs> with my friends figuring out how to run into the woods and chain smoke cigarettes without teachers catching us. Mm -hmm. So that was like my whole world revolved around that. So then I get to college and I'm free to do whatever I want. And also at a place like Dartmouth, mm -hmm. it's a, I mean, a lot, all colleges have lots of drinking cultures. I think everything's different, but in New Hampshire, Hanover, New Hampshire, there was nothing to do besides these frats at the time. Mm -hmm. And everyone would binge drink in frat basements. And I thought that, oh, oh I'm in college. Normal, right? everyone, it's normal. Let me binge drink in frat basements too. But I was on medication for my anxiety. You should not do that. Never mix alcohol and medication. And everything quickly, when I say very quickly, spiraled out of control. What did that look like? That looked like me leaving college twice on two different occasions on medical leaves, becoming so anxious that if I was two minutes late to class, which is also a characteristic of ADHD, he's late. Right. I wouldn't go to the class because I didn't want everyone to look at me as I walked in the door. I, you know, started, I really fell into a group. I mean, I still am friends with a lot of these people who are now sober, but I was part of the party house on campus. Um, it was an alternative co-ed society and we would have a rave every term and I got really into party drugs. Wow. And that definitely was not good for my brain chemistry, mm -hmm. especially as someone with anxiety and ADHD. And so for most of college, like I drank a lot, but I would definitely say it was more of a drug use problem. Um, I was never, I would never say I was addicted to any certain drug. What I like to say is I was addicted to the party. I was addicted to any kind of party that, that I could go to or that I could use as an excuse to, to escape. 
Right. And so that it took me seven years to graduate. And it was one it was a traumatic experience. A lot of traumatic things happened to me at the college, not because of necessarily the college, but because of like I was getting getting so out of it that things happened that were really unfortunate and that still affect me to this day. And, you know, I don't know when I don't think there's a blame. It's like the chicken or the egg. Thing. <laughs> but it, it was it was a, it was tough. It sounds like there's some trauma that happened there. A lot. And to a lot of people that I know. So, you know, I, after college was finally over and I got that diploma. Oh, my gosh. I come back to New York City and I actually didn't have a job for the first year. I was so depressed for the first year that I was back in out of school <laughs> that I could barely open my laptop. I could barely do anything. And I'm like, was it the depression? I was also on a medication then that actually made me more depressed and suicidal. And I didn't know it was for two years until I realized it was the medication that was actually making it worse. Wow. You know how sometimes they say that and add this medication might might make your depression worse. Right. Could. <laughs> You're like, what does that even mean? Right. right. It's a real thing. That, that, that was just hard. So I did more drug use and that made it me more depressed. And then I was drinking more and eventually got a job. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. But nothing it just got worse and worse and worse. I eventually stopped doing drugs and party drugs. I mean, it was never opiates or anything like sure. that. It was more like cocaine and, and whatever. I stopped doing that in my 20s because I just couldn't deal with how mm -hmm. I felt anymore. And I knew what was bad. I was like, I, this has to stop. It's also illegal. So I was like, oh, these are the illegal drugs. I'll just stick to the legal one. So that's like normal, alcohol. right? That's a normalized drug. Everyone drinks it and no one knows the wiser, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like allowed. It's, I'm like, that's allowed. It's I everywhere. Can, I can have them. Yeah. I stopped doing that. I also was with someone at the time, my old, my partner who, you know, was not into drug use at all or anything really. So that made it easier to not, to not do. The drinking though got more increased. I started surrounding myself with people that were heavy drinkers as well, mm -hmm. which I think also made me feel like it was normal. Well, you learned that um, from college. Yeah, I did. And and those people from college were highly successful people. So you that know? told it's not you, like, you can do it. Yeah. And that that's what people did. You know, work hard, play hard. That was always my thing. Like I work right. hard and I play harder. Like I loved to say that, you know, but that really looked like me passing out on the couch every night, moving myself to the bed, not remembering conversations, falling asleep places, drunk, losing things and really not recognizing myself. I mean, I became paranoid at one point that my neighbors like were eavesdropping on me. <laughs> That can't feel good. I mean, not only was your mental health in jeopardy, but tell me a little bit about what was going on for you physically. Physically, I had such bad anxiety all the time that it would have panic attacks like mm -hmm. constantly. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I did, you know, my mom would say alcohol makes anxiety worse. I, I read that you should really look into it. And I would like laugh at her and be like, you don't get it, mom. Like alcohol is the only time I don't have anxiety. And it, it, at that time, it was true. That was true. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like when I drank, that tightness in my chest kind of just like released a little. But then the next day, it was even tighter. And I would t wake up and I'd be like, oh, I woke up every day with some kind of a hangover, like semblance of a hangover. And that looks like me getting up, rushing to work, feeling horrible, never liking what I 
anything I had to wear. It would take me like an hour to find an outfit. I just didn't feel like myself. I would look in the mirror and I didn't recognize the person in the mirror. I was always sweaty. Like it was actually a running joke with one of my siblings. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't know. I thought I I would tell people I just ran hot. But but really that wasn't true. It was the alcohol coming out of my system. Yes. And also the anxiety because it it increased my anxiety, which then made me sweatier or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I would always tell myself I wanted to work out. I was like, I would try, I would try to go to Pilates. I would try to go and, but nothing ever stuck because by the time it got to that time of the day, that was drinking time. And I had made it through the workday. You know, I barely ate lunch because I wasn't, you know, I still felt kind of sick, probably from the hangover. Mm -hmm. And then I would drink mostly on an empty stomach. And it just, it was always a recipe for disaster and something bad was always happening. Or I, I, you know, I, I just felt like crap all the time. And I, and for a while, I didn't think that that was an issue or I didn't think that was a problem. I thought this was life. What made you say, oh shit, this is a problem. What got you there to that idea? So there was, it was 20 and 16 and a very close friend of mine at the time uh, who I knew from my early days of of drinking and actually, <laughs> she was sober and she was in AA already. And we went on a trip together to Italy and, you know, she wasn't drinking, but I was, I didn't, I was fine drinking alone. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the trip, we were in one place and I went out by myself and she went to sleep and I ended up drinking too much, I guess I'm not eating enough. And I, I passed out in a club and these random Italian men had to carry me back to the hotel. And I woke up in the bathroom of our hotel. I guess I had like hit my head on something and it was like really awful. And she mm. was like, we need to talk about this. Like, this is not, this is a problem. And that was the first time I ever admitted out loud, like, I have a problem. Like I have a drinking problem. And that was in summer of 2016. And I only said it to her and I cried. And, you know, I don't know if a part of me said it to her just to like get her off my case. Sure. Um, or if I truly believed it, but it was scary. And I knew that that wasn't, I knew that that wasn't normal. That wasn't okay. And that was really dangerous. And I, and I was really lucky that I was okay. I mean, that sounds so terrifying. After, it was, it, yeah, I mean, I, Yes, it was. Um, so what but did I, you do then? At the time, then? I just brushed it off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I came home, and right after that, actually, I, we got back, and two days later, I was let go from my job. Um, not nothing to do with drinking. It was mm-hmm. the job. I actually can't. The job was a very toxic job in itself. So it actually was a blessing in disguise. Sure. But that was opened the floodgates for me to go on a vendor and just be like, whatever, like, I don't even have a job anymore. Um, During that vendor, I met my now app and the two, I I fell, I jumped into that relationship. And when I say jumped into that relationship, uh, we only knew each other for eight months before I was taking him to the courthouse here in New York City behind my parents' back and getting married um so we could be together because he was from italy even though we met here in new york i guess i was in this italian craze and i was like we're supposed to be together like it's meant to be meant to be we have to do this uh so that and then so that kind of to me i kind of differentiate these times in my life like before i met my ex and then Mm -hmm. after uh, and he was very grounding. He really helped me in a lot of ways. Um, he wasn't a drinker, big drinker or a partier. Uh, so, you know, that did help me for a while. 
Um, Did you get married? Yeah. Yeah. I'm divorced now though. (laughs) Yes. But that was something old me used to do. Um, You know, just not really think about the consequences of my actions and be extremely impulsive. Those are also been things that people who are ADHD tend to do. I mean, you know, going to the courthouse in New York, is a little extreme, but you know, (laughs) I told myself that that was what I was supposed to do. Um, So, but I knew deep down, deep down, I knew that that was a mistake. But I, uh, two days before we were going to the courthouse, I didn't have the guts to to not do it. But you knew somewhere inside you that this was not a yeah. good idea. Mm-hmm. There was a voice inside me that was saying, this isn't your person. But at that time, I wasn't happy with myself. I didn't like myself. And I didn't, I wasn't able to be that everything for myself. I was always looking for someone else to complete me. And I thought he was not going to complete me and he was going to fix me. And he was, I needed him. Um, So I didn't have the confidence or the guts or I didn't think I could be on my own. Um, So I went through with it and the two of us, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> and the longer I stayed in a relate that relationship, um, and then had a job that was very, that wasn't right either. And I just kind of stayed because I didn't really know I was numb. I didn't, right. I didn't have the confidence to kind of change my reality. Um, and so staying in a job that I hated and being in a relationship that I didn't want to be in, uh, you know, I live in New York City. So we lived together. When you live with someone in New York City, the idea of trying to then go and find your own place or go back to living with roommates. Terrifying, right? Doesn't sound like, great. It's hard to afford. Like it's a really like a cost thing yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. So the longer that went on, the more I drank. And I would drink to forget how miserable I was. Um, that was the first thing I did when I got home from the, my work day was open up my maker's mark, pour it on the rocks and drink it. And before I even walked my dog. Um, so I ended up gaining a lot of weight towards in the last few years um, because for multiple reasons, I think I also was eating my, nice. to numb as well, but that's when I would be drinking as well. And, and I think my body stopped processing food properly and my metabolism was almost shutting down because it was spending its entire energy on, on getting the alcohol out. Sure. Um, so that's, so you had like no way out. I mean, literally did this feel like a trap for you? You were trapped, no way to get out of it. Yeah. I very much so felt like I was stuck and I would cry every day to my mom saying, I don't want to do this anymore. I was so so depressed. I just didn't want to live anymore. I mean, I wouldn't have actually, I think gone through with anything, but I was so hopeless. I, when I would look into the future in my mind's eye, it was dark. There was, it was blank. Mm-hmm. I wasn't passionate about my work. I wasn't passionate about my relationships. I, my actual like interpersonal relationships, like friends and family were fine, but there was always drama. Something was always happening to me. It was always like, you know, what's next around the corner. And it was a hard way to live. Like I just didn't know how much longer I could keep doing it. Um, and I would sit there at the end, right before COVID happened, I would sit there and my apartment lease was coming up in, in April, the end of April, 2020 with my ex. And I didn't know what to do. Cause I, wa- I didn't want to be with him anymore, but mm-hmm. I didn't know where I was going to live. And I didn't know how I would afford it. And I hated my job. And I would sit there and I would pray for a pause because I did it. I was stuck. I was trapped in mm-hmm. this like right. life that I didn't recognize. And I just was like, I just need to figure out how to get out of here, get out of this. So when COVID happened at the end of Mar- in March, 
20 right before the lease was up right and we got a literal pause when i tell you i thought i manifested that into my life and i didn't believe in really in manifestation then i i wasn't intention but i i literally i was like did i create this is this real like i thought i was in a dream because i not that covid covid was scary don't get me wrong (laughs) right but everything paused the the job the, the apartment stuff my sister was getting married that summer, June 2020. I was the maid of honor. I hated the way I looked. And I was like so stressed over having to wear a dress. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was so COVID happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been wanting. I don't have to go to the job I don't like. I don't, I mean, because I got like furloughed. Also, I, 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 we left New York City. The lead, We put all our stuff in storage. I didn't have to worry about that. My sister's wedding was postponed. I got to go stay at my mom's lake house in New Hampshire because I didn't want to be in New York. It was, you know, and I sat around and I watched TV and I drank and I did nothing. And I thought that that's like kind of what I wanted. I thought I didn't want to work at a job I don't want to do. I don't want to really... I just want to do nothing because that's all I wanted at the time. So when I did that and I drank whatever I wanted and the whole world was drinking all day, you know, it was like the COVID 2020 and I get to June of 2020 and I'm still not happy. And I'm like, but like, is it, this is what I thought I wanted. Right. And I I did have a moment where I remember the, I was in my mom's lake. I was in the lake and I was drinking a drink by myself in a floaty. And I was like laying there and I see a runner go by. And I was like, "Ugh, what a loser!" I thought to myself <laughs> the, to the, about the person running. Right. And then I, I talked back to myself. Wait, why are they a loser? Like they're literally moving their body, running, feeling good, doing something good for themselves. While I'm laying here like a blob with my drink in the lake, and I'm sitting here thinking that they're weird. And then I was like, "So how do I get? How do I get that kind of motivation to go running on a beautiful day mm. instead of drinking here in the lake?" And that's when it kind of clicked. That person is not drinking to pass out every night. They're not drinking the way I drink. They are not living a life like I live. And that's when it really dawned on me, like if I want to live and I even want to have any kind of joy or purpose like that person does, I can't drink anymore. Wow. Yeah. I like almost had an out-of-body experience. Like I can see myself in the lake right now. So then what? So then that was in June, 2020. We ended up going to a place in Vermont for two months while we figured out if we were going to come back to New York. I I tried, when we went to Vermont, I tried to test myself. I actually got a pain in my side at the time. Uh, and that was the heaviest I've ever been in my whole life. To the, I, I literally had to go buy new clothes at, an, at the outlet stores up there because I didn't have anything I could wear. And I got a pain in my side. And that's where I got scared because I was like, this isn't normal. This is, this is really scary. And I, I'm scared now. Mm-hmm. So I tried mm-hmm. to go two days without drinking. And that was hard. Then I tried to go four days. Then I tried to go a week. And when I got to day six, I was like, okay, I, I could do it at least a few, few days. So that, that gave me a little confidence, but I wasn't ready to stop. So we come back to New York and, you know, we get our new apartment and I'm starting to move my body again a little bit more, right? Because mm-hmm. in New York City, you literally have to move. I have a dog. You know, when we were in New Hampshire, I would just let him out in the back to run around. I didn't have to walk him. You don't have here that. I have to walk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to walk the dog here in the city. Uh, so I started moving around a little bit more. And even when I came back, I I, I was like, I want to try to do things I might not have done in the past. I don't know. I guess I had started that mindset. Wow. And actually, my therapist had said, you need to start saying affirmations to yourself. Mm-hmm. This was in Vermont still. 
And, and I said, no, I don't, I don't like myself. I don't love myself. I'm not saying affirmations. She's like, please try, please for me and try. <laughs> try and see um, what happens. Uh, and so I, I would stand in the mirror and I would cry. I didn't believe any, I couldn't say nice things to myself. Sure. But that's also when I realized I'm so mean to myself. I'm constantly the negative self-talk that I always say, that's bringing me down. I would be like, you're an idiot. You're stupid. I don't get it. I'm like All the mean things. And so she told me, she's like, I don't care if you don't believe it. I want you to say it to yourself in the mirror. Just do it every day, please. Like, so I did. And I started writing down, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. Sure. Affirmations. And and I, I saw, because I, I kind of journaled here and there during that time. The moment I started writing down the affirmations, that that moment, that's when everything actually started to change. It was like October. And I started going to Central Park with my dog. I didn't know my way around it all, but it was even before I stopped drinking. We would just go there and come back. Um, I started, you know, trying to, you know, drink a little bit less, do whatever, but nothing was working. I still felt anxious. I still didn't have a job. So it gets, Hanukkah came around. My mom gets me quit like a woman. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> by uh, uh, by Holly Whitaker for Hanukkah. And, and Chris, she's like, Chrissy Teigen had it. I think you would like it. I was like, oh God, mom, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> uh, so she's like, you should do dry January with me. Mm. I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I drink on New Year's and I drink on the first. And by the third, she's like, listen, it's not too late. Just try, just start it with me. It's not going to hurt anything. And you might lose some weight. That's what motivated uh. at the beginning. That was what motivated me because my sister's wedding had then been rescheduled for the third time to October, 2021. And uh. I was like, this is January. I might be able to make it. If I gave myself the goal of October to like get into better shape, feel better. You know, it wasn't just the way I wanted to feel good for the pictures of my sister's wedding. <sighs> So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll lose a few pounds and I'll feel good. And so I was like, all right, mom, fine. January 3rd, I start. And I did not think I was going to make it 30 days at all. When I got to the end of the month and my friend, one of my good friends at the time turns to me, he's like, all right, ready to go out and drink? And I looked at him and I was like, no. He's like, what do you mean? Dry January's over. Like you can drink now. And I'm like, I know I can drink. I don't want to drink. I, I want to see how long I can go. Like I made wow. it 30 days. I, 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 I want to see, like, I was like, my anxiety is already so much lower. I would think I was down like 12 pounds wow. and I was already feeling so many of the benefits. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to go as long as I can. So I kept going and my dog and I, I made it, I started going to Central Park every single morning because I would wake up and because I had woken up with a hangover every day for so long that my body actually expected this hangover in the morning and I would wake up and I'd be like, but then I didn't feel bad. I felt great. And I'd be like, I feel amazing. (laughs) And I'd start like literally like jumping around the apartment, like singing to myself, Uh like, like seven in the morning, what do I do? And they have off leash in central park before 9am. So my dog and George and I would go over there and <laughs> we'd explore a little bit more each time. Like not a lot because my anxiety was like, Rachel, you're going to get lost in Central Park. I don't know what I was scared of, right. but I didn't want to explore. So finally we, we built, we go up to off leash and he's running around off leash and I'm making all these friends in the park. And I was dropping like 15 pounds a month Wow! and I got to my hundred days, but it was 60 days. Actually it's back. I'll back up to 60 days sober. I, I, um, posted about it on my old Instagram account mm. and my, my, just the normal one I always had where I glamorized drinking. 
everything I used to post was martinis and drinking this and cheers. It's drinking time. Like I, that's all it was. So I posted on there. In other news, I haven't had a drink in 60 days and I never have felt better. Put it on my story. And I, I put it out there. And I got so many people being like, that's amazing. Like, like just positive reinforcement. Okay. Okay. But so at a hundred days, I, I put a real thing on Facebook and, mm -hmm. and on my old Instagram that really blasted it out to all of my social networks. And the first moment after I hit post, I remember feeling like I was going to throw up and like being like, why did I do this? Why did I blast this out? Publicly, into the, right? so, yeah. What if I fail? What if I, what if I drink again? What if I change my mind? Do I want everyone to know this? Like I felt so vulnerable right, and I felt right. like, and as someone that was, I couldn't go to class late because I didn't want everyone to look at me because I didn't right. want people to be judging me. Like I didn't, why was I telling everybody <sighs> this information? I didn't know. Um, but right before I went to delete it, I got a few messages from people that were also sober that I had no idea were sober thanking me for that and also saying they were so proud of me and and well one person actually messaged me i'll never forget this one you know, we studied abroad in barcelona and i was really worried for you back then and i really didn't know if you were going to make it so i'm so glad you're sober now. wow i was like wow okay you're tracking um, your progress or yeah that's amazing and i was like okay well this felt really interesting and, and kind of cool to share but that was the exact same time as my ex and I were, my ex, I don't think he was able, we weren't changing in the same direction. Um, he actually went out drinking with a friend of his on my 100 days sober, and he wasn't a drinker. And that's when I was like, I think this is the universe really giving me it. I felt confident, more confident in myself and my mm -hmm. anxiety and being alone. And I was ready to, to officially end this relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so I did. And he moved out. A few months later, and I was on my own for the first time in my life. I had never lived alone in my entire life. And I lived away from home starting at age 15. And I'd never lived alone, though, because I've always had roommates sure, or right. whatever. Um, and I, I really loved it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, wait, this is really awesome. I'm on my own. I can do what I want. I don't have anyone else interfering with me. And I think that was really critical for me to get to love and know who I was and get to know myself. Um, Confident then booster, I did, right? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I couldn't do anything on my own before. I was a completely codependent person. Mm -hmm. I, I, I couldn't go shopping on my own. I don't want to do anything by myself. So to then feel that I loved being alone and I was exploring Central Park by myself and I was wandering around the city by myself. To someone who, who struggled with doing that for my whole life, like it, it was, I can't even really verbalize how amazing that felt. Um, even to this day, the amount of things I've done since I stopped drinking, I could have never done before because I wouldn't have done, I would have been too scared to step out of the comfort zone. That's all it is, stepping out of your comfort zone. So at, at eight months, I, I'm not in AA. I, I Mind you, also, when I stopped, there, no, there weren't in-person meetings happening. Right, it was shut still down, a right. virtual. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't have a community community. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that piece. And I knew that I needed that and that how important that was. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so 
I, and I was sick of posting on my old Instagram about the, the sober. I didn't want to do that because everyone there was like my drinking friends. I felt a little funny doing that. But I thought, you know what? I really want to document this. I know the power of put, holding myself accountable on social media, putting it out there. I was like, I'm just going to like create a new page where I can like hold myself accountable, post some cool pictures of Central Park. And like maybe one or two people will hear what I got to say and it will help them. On it. Like, that's really all I thought. I didn't even know if I was going to show my face on it. Um, that's so really started, vulnerable. It, <laughs> right? I'm an all or nothing person. <laughs> I don't know how to do anything in the middle. It's always like very extremes with me. <laughs> um, but you're using yes. this extreme kind of to your advantage in a, it sounds like in a really healthy way. What a revelation for you. Well, at the time, I, I didn't have any clue. Sure. Really. I mean, there weren't that many sober people on Instagram. It was the, the community that exists now Didn't. is amazing. Right, right. But it, it was very much bare bones back then. There were a handful of accounts maybe that I could think of that were doing this. And I just thought, you know, I'm just going to put my, my voice into the mix. And that's where Sober in Central Park came because I was literally in Central Park. That's all I did was go to Central Park. So I started posting stuff. And eventually this community was like created of people that I don't know, found the page or, you know, people would mess, some people would message me every day and check in. Um, and I, I started making friends on the internet. I thought that was really weird. Even though I right? would go online and date and date people from the internet, right? I wouldn't, I thought it was weird to make friends on Instagram for some reason. And then it, right a few months into the account, I got an, a message from a, a woman um, in Seattle, sober in Seattle. And she's like, hey, I really want to start this thing, this group of women in cities around the world, country, mm -hmm. where, wherever, uh, where people can host meetups for free and, and, and have meetups and, and have it be this community of people. Do you want to help me? I was like, yeah, I also really needed friends in a community. So I was like, count me in. So we decided to call it the Sober City Movement. And we wow. had calls and I made all these friends on Instagram. I was in a group chat with a bunch of them. And I, you know, I'll, in fe that February, I went on a bachelorette and I was the only sober person or non-drinker on the trip of 18 people. Wow, that sounds like a nightmare potentially. <laughs> well, it, it might have been, but I felt confident enough by that time to go. I was a year sober by then. Uh -huh. And I had this group of people, a group chat that I was able to talk to throughout the trip. Oh, Anytime nice. I felt a temptation or if I was by myself because I didn't want to be with the group, I could just like go in the chat and somebody else was like there to talk to me. And that really showed me the power of having this community behind you, right? And the power of social media for good. And I got through a lot of firsts just from people on Instagram. And it was beautiful. Wow. wow. So that's when it really hit me. And I felt, I never felt like I knew what I was supposed to be doing in this world or in this life. And like, what's meaningful? I, what's your purpose? Exactly. I was searching for my purpose always. It was something that gave me anxiety because I didn't know what it was. Like my siblings, like both knew what they were wanted to do for their careers. They knew from college. I, I had no idea. I switched my major in the middle of college. I went from being a math major for two years to a cultural anthropology with women and gender studies major. Wow. Like, I didn't know what I wanted. <laughs> I also then thought to myself, I'm never going to use this anthropology degree for anything. Like, ah. it's just, a, you know, I, I always thought that. I was like, whatever. It was interesting to learn about cultures and rituals and why people do what they do. But like, I'm never going to use this for anything. And so, <laughs> so 
then I'm, I'm working a job that I really loved. Actually, I loved my job that I that I was in. Amazing people, the kindest, greatest people. That was huge because when you let, when at least I knew it wasn't my purpose, but I didn't, I wasn't miserable or to, I wasn't toxic like a lot mm -hmm. of other work experiences. And it really gave me the freedom to look into my creative side, like through this account that I always thought I wasn't creative. I would sit and tell myself, oh, I'm not a creative person. I don't know. I'm more of a data and math person, but no, I, I am a creative person. Uh -huh. I guess the drunk Rachel was it maybe, or she didn't know how to be, but the sober me loved it. And she loved writing and all of these things that I realized I kind of liked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was down a hundred pounds by then feeling amazing. And I was like, this is it. This is my purpose. This is what I was meant to do. So I hired a coach. Um, I never, I didn't even know you could do that. I, I was like, what's a, I didn't know you could get a coach. Uh -huh. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. She was like, you need to start a website. You need to do, I want you to do this. I want to end when I tell you, I felt like I had stepped into my purpose. I had never felt anything like, <laughs> and, and between then and now that was a year ago, I was able to buy my own apartment here in Manhattan. Wow. I was able to leave my job to do sober in Central Park full time. I now have a staff. I have assistants like helping me because we were working on so many projects. I have gotten divorced and I am creating something now that is so much bigger than just an Instagram account or a social media account. And it's just wild. And it makes me think that all of this stuff I went through before was for this, because without that bad stuff from the negative, I wouldn't appreciate the positive and, and, and this side of my life like I do. Right. So it makes me feel at least like there was a, a, a reason or some kind of meaning there was a products. journey for you, wasn't there? This path of pain turned into opportunity of service, right? And so what do you think the top three things you're learning about yourself now as we are in 2023? Well, I mean, you have to, if you ask me this question even a week ago or next week, it will probably change because that's how much I'm learning every day in this job that I'm creating. Right. <laughs> but being your own boss, Oh my gosh, especially for someone like me, I realize I'm working myself all the time. I, it's, and it's because I'm so passionate about this. I love it. There's never, there's not enough hours in the day. And what I'm learning now in my, this is my third year of sobriety. So, mm -hmm. right, I'm in the third year, um, is to don't forget the pillars that you instilled in the first year of sobriety that were essential to your recovery. So make sure you keep those front and center. Like for a while, I wasn't making it to Central Park even once a week because I got so busy with the move and the jobs and the, you know, when you're trying to work, when you're trying to build some, yeah, when you're trying to build something and you're still working your nine to five job, which is what I did for the whole time I had that job, actually. I had, you know, I, I had sober, well, most of that time. It, it's hard because you're splitting your life. It almost feels like I was living a double life. Mm -hmm. But now that it's, I'm able to only focus on this one thing, it's actually mushroomed into a million opportunities. Sorry, I, this isn't the three things I... Um, but I would tell myself to make sure you, I fill up my own cup because you can't pour from an empty cup. That's great. You know, also tell myself, don't be scared of doing something that's never been done before. You know, this is a new industry mm -hmm. in terms of not just the, the non-elk sector of like it being a thing with the beverages and, but also being a content creator as a living. And I come from a family of highly educated career-driven people. 
Um, and you know, one of my family members, like it was hard for them to wrap their head around the fact that I was like quitting my job to focus to way do... on, uh, sober in central park on, on completely on, on all right. of this. And right. there's no model to follow. There's no template to look at. There's no one to look at like, oh, they did that wrong. They did that right. Like, I'm just kind of figuring it out as I go. Wow. Um, and so, you know, that's scary. And, but it's such a big leap out of my comfort zone that it makes that's and that's the whole point me is constantly stepping out of the comfort zone. Because when you do that, I love that you say that because listeners are like, well, I'd be terrified every fucking step. So being afraid, so there's, it sounds like a healthy sense of fear that motivates you. What do you think? Definitely. And that's what keeps me excited and, and looking to the mm -hmm. future. And I, I'm always trying to challenge myself, right? And instead of getting scared of not having fun or FOMO, like I, right, I, right. I used to always be scared of like that I was missing out on something or like, for instance, like being hung over on the couch and seeing the beautiful sun outside. And knowing that people were outside enjoying the beautiful day. But jogging, right? Yeah, yeah. Or even just brunching outside. Right. And I was too hungover or didn't want to see anyone because I was depressed. So I would like lay on my couch and binge watch TV and then like have anxiety that I was missing the nice day. <laughs> like those, like I never have to feel that way again. I don't have to live like that. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like there are still bad days. I still have. And I try to go on my social media and and talk about it when I have a bad day. So people know, like, it's not always sunshine, rainbows, butterflies, whatever. But the bad days that you have in sobriety are 10 times better than your best day, than my best days when I was drinking. Like, because no matter what bad day you're having, like, I'm not drinking to numb those feelings. I'm going to figure out why I feel the way I do, process the feelings, release the feelings, and then actually kind of move on from that. And instead of burying it down and letting it like, like, I don't know, sit there. Right. I mean, that's what you struggled with at 14 was how to deal with all these hard feelings. Right. And as a grown up yeah. who has found their meaning, their purpose, their flow. Yeah. People have shit days sometimes, but yours are far less and more manageable. It sounds like, and Definitely. now, and because they're more manageable, you mentioned FOMO, which is a really interesting concept for young people. Like you're in Central Park. So New York is amazing. I love New York. I mean, there's so much to do as a young person like yourself, who's not drinking, who's alcohol free in recovery, sobriety, however you want to kind of identify. How do you do that? And you're, you're doing this so out loud. I mean, you're out there. Not, not all young folks are single people in their 30s are out there like that. Okay, first of all, but you have that going on. So people are beginning to recognize you for what you're doing in your mission, as you shared earlier. But now there's this personal side of you, Rachel, right? There's the there's the one who's not sober in Central Park. But there's Rachel, the person. Right? So, kind of. Okay. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, you're all in one for sure. But then there's this other side possibly about like, what's dating like for you now? And what would you share with people who are similar in your shoes? Like, how do you do that? Sober, young. Well, I will say the dating part has been great. Like I, I have gotten way more deep personal connections really gotten to know people on a better level myself. I'm not put in dangerous situations when I've, since I've gotten divorced and started dating. Right. I will say right now I'm not dating. I'm actively not dating, not looking for any kind of relationship because I don't, I realized I don't have the capacity at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but before <laughs> I started the, the company, 
it was, I put on dating profiles very clearly in the bio. I don't drink. So please don't ask me out for drinks or something like I'm way more fun without the booze, you know, <laughs> don't worry. Like, or, and the people that would message me and be like, Hey, want to get drinks? Obviously they didn't read the bio. That's a good uh, filter and, right there. <laughs> right. And I think by putting it out there right on the profile, it made things a lot easier than like meeting someone, like trying to hide it. And then like meeting with them in person and being like, by the way, I don't drink. And like dropping it on them in the, in the date. So I remember that happening to me on a date before I met my ex when I was living in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I went on a date with someone. We meet at the bar. And we, I go to order my drink. And he says, I'm like, what are you drinking? And he was like, I don't drink, actually. I hope that's okay. No, that was not okay for drinking, Rachel. <laughs> no, that was not, sir. I feel uncomfortable. And this is never going to work. And I totally blew him off. And, never I, I, and I still think about that guy. Like, and I, yeah, so I put it out there and it made it easier to talk about. Like I made it super upfront about it because what, why wait? I hate wasting time. That's my <laughs> pet peeve. Like I hate it. So I was like, I'm not going to waste time. I don't have the time to waste. So that was a really helpful tool. And I met some really amazing people. I still keep in touch with some people as friends and it just kind of, it did weed out the big drinkers. I don't, right. if you're a big drinker, that's not going to work anyways. I'm not going to try to change your mind and I don't want to deal with a drunk person. You have like a glass of wine at dinner. Fine. Don't ask me to go out for drinks. So come on, be more creative with the day. Or if they couldn't, I would say, you want to go on a walk with me and my dog? It's the city. And that's also safe, right? Like we're just walking around. I don't like the vibe. I got to go. Right. And so that was always my go-to date. Let's go on a walk with the dog. Or if you don't have a dog, you can just go on a walk. Be upfront about the non-drinking. I think that's um, the biggest thing is like getting the courage for some folks just to be honest about what's going on for them, right? I mean, it took a lifetime for you to really find your voice and your truth. And I think that's pretty common for many folks. And, and but what you're doing is amazing because you're doing this out loud. You're being very vulnerable and open and people are really learning from you on doing that. And, and I would imagine very inspiring because of what you're doing. Um, and so for folks who are listening right now who really want to date, what are some of the recommendations for young people, whether you're in New York or not? I mean, you now, well, let me ask you this. What are some of the events that you, you do with sober in Central Park? And what do you think are some things that you'd like to see happen, whether you're involved or not, and kind of what your go-tos are for people to have a good time without feeling pressure to drink? Definitely. Well, that's the whole thing, right? As I always thought you couldn't have fun without alcohol. Right. That was my, my idea. I, I would convince in order to have fun, you needed booze or substances of any kind. Because I think I was just wired. I, that's how my brain was wired. So then when I realized, wait, I'm having just as much fun, actually more because I'm remembering everything. I feel amazing. I am more myself. That's what I was like, I got to scream this from the rooftops that you don't need booze to have fun. And that is like my number one mission of sober and central park events is not only do you not need booze to have fun, you're going to have more fun. You're going to meet people that are like-minded individuals and let's form community and connection without alcohol being present. So I've worked at events in my old career, like, and I was like, okay, I can bring that into this. So I actually just had an event last week, um, new moon, new me manifest your dreams. And, uh, we had a local witch come oh my and God. Lead us in wow. a sacred circle. And a, we had did spells with, um, incense and sage and, and crystals. And we went to, uh, Hackett, which is the only sober dive bar in New York city. 
And uh, I'm, I, the owner and I are actually working on a big summer thing. But there are now places popping up. There are pop-ups that are happening around the city as well. But so that that was an event I had. I'm doing one on Sunday with a nonprofit called Big Vision Events, or Big Vision, that we're doing a yoga and tarot reader and acupressure and ear seed therapy and wow. mocktail event. And then I'm doing a full moon event on the Cinco de Mayo. Uh, where we'll be back with the witch, the same one. We're going to nice. come back together and do another full of, of ceremony. But, you know, I'm doing, I'm going to be doing a weekly walk in Central Park where anyone can come and just walk. Um, I'm working with various nonprofits that have a lot of free programming, like the Phoenix, uh, which is amazing. And then I'm doing the stuff that's actually more businessy, like helping restaurants with their non-alcoholic beverages and how to create them and serve them. And, you know, there's just, it's really been awesome. But if I were for dates, my recommendations are coffee is always a safe bet, right? Or tea or finding a cool tea place or, you know, something that, that isn't, you know, it's the first date. You want to get to know each other. You know, I definitely recommend the walk. If it's cold, <laughs> you can maybe go, don't go to a movie. I don't think that's a good first date because you can't really get to talk and to right. each other and know each other. Look for something interesting happening in your city. Like I, I just heard about this adult playground happening in Brooklyn where they give you grippy socks and you literally go in like ball pits that are made for adults. Oh my God, I'd totally do that. That sounds that so sound fun. Like a fun date. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. There are options. You just got to look for them. And if there aren't any, create them yourself. It could be as simple as having a picnic in the park where you tell everybody, you, you know, I'm doing this, sober, sober, curious, whatever. There's just not going to be alcohol. Let's get together and let's play games. Let's do, let's get, just get to know each other. I love that because you're reimagining um, how to have a good time, almost like if I were to ask you, as a child, what things did you have fun with? And as a grown-up, are there things that you're still doing that you enjoyed as a child? Because there's some of that that I'm sure isn't lost, right? Exactly. It's actually something, sometimes I work with people to help them navigate society as a non-drinker, because that's something a lot of people have problems and issues right, with, um, right. is retraining yourself how to socialize without alcohol. And I've learned some great tips and tricks along the way. And sometimes people just need that extra support. Right. So I'm not an addiction specialist, but I can, I do help people with this. And one exercise we work on, what brought you joy when you were a child? Mm -hmm. And what, how can we re-explore that and maybe implement some of that into your life now? Because it's true. I love that. And one thing I would say for you, as you're doing all these things and try to find balances, find things that you find enjoyable, and then also identify what drains you and see if you can push that off to other people as you grow, right? Look, I've started doing that. I have. And and that's a little scary too. When you're, I'm kind of like being in control. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> I like knowing what's up, but I can't do, or I will burn out. Right. So I've had to, I've had to give little pieces and start trusting that they can do it. Um, and that's been a whole other journey. <laughs> right. That might be another pillar perhaps down the road for you. Um, I know that time is short and you're a busy woman. How can people find you? Even if we're not in New York, although I wish if people are in New York to, to find you, especially those who want wellness and choosing an alcohol-free event, tell us how we can talk to you or find you. I know I was able to, and I'm grateful that you responded to me, <laughs> you busy lady. 
Um, but how can I they try do to that? I try to respond to everyone. So if you've messaged me, I will get back to you at some point. This is, it's a little overwhelming sometimes, but Instagram, it's over in Central Park. You can also click my link in bio and send me a message through there. Go on my website. And yeah, I mean... I'm, I'm on TikTok too, but ooh, I'm still figuring that one out. Uh, but yeah, definitely find me on Instagram and my website. And I will get back to everybody. And I hope to see some of you at, at my events in New York. So thank you so much for having me. Thank Bye. you again. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Maylee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.